Welcome to a special edition of the Six Piece Podcast. We're joined by some extremely uh, special guests. In fact, it's a privilege to be in the company of these uh, three exceptional human beings. I'm joined by Assessor X, Assessor Y, and Jim Lord. Welcome to all of you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Anytime. So we've actually spoken with you previously, so it's really great to have your company once again. We've had um, a lot of positive feedback about our previous podcasts and videos. So uh, today is all about um, Section C of the exam or the Analyzing Argument uh, SAC um, as we look at ways that we can improve. And we've been asked a few questions by our uh, listeners out there who wanted some advice on how to go about this particular essay type. And we've got about eight or nine questions to ask. And the first one from our listener asks, what distinguishes a B essay from an A or an A plus essay? And I might go to Assessor X uh, to answer that question for us first. All right. Thank you very much. Um, obviously, if you've got an essay at a B standard, it's going to be pretty solid. It's going to be doing all of the things that we'll be looking for. Um, what we would look for to move beyond that, though, is fluency and expression. Um, the better that is, the higher up in grades you're going to go. Um, we'd also be looking for a little bit of subtlety in the way that you analyse the language and in the way that you approach the analysis of the argument, too. So little things like perhaps looking at the structure of the text that you're given, how the argument develops, the order that the points are put in by the writer, um, and being able to pick that apart and weave that into your analysis. Um, don't neglect the visuals either. Um, make sure you've got plenty on those and that the way that you link them to the argument used by the writer, that's really important as well. Um, but yeah, just to emphasize the main point, expression. Definitely look at your vocab, look at your verbs, um, and make sure you're accurate as well. Beautiful. Thanks for that. Does anyone else have anything to add to that? Jim Lord or Assessor Y? I'm happy to add to that a little bit. I think um, the previous assessor there was exactly right in terms of that expression. Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot is being precise and being concise. So getting to your point and being succinct well, at the same time, you're using very precise vocabulary. So don't start just playing with a thesaurus and trying for fancy words if they're not precisely related to what you're trying to say. And I think particularly for analyzing arguments where we're talking about analyzing someone else's language, um, it's quite useful for that precision to be a focus. Yeah, um, and I might add as well, um, after those really, really comprehensive points, um, I think I, I really like, I know we all do, I really like um, when students find the, the subtlety in tonal shifts. Um, I think argument, finding arguments is obviously a priority and something that you sort of pin your entire essay upon. Um, but those subtleties in tonal shifts, um, not only do they provide a really nice opportunity um, to, to delve into subtext and inference, um, but, uh, but if done well, um, I think that could be the difference between um, something that is uh, superficial is not the word I want to use, but something that I guess with, with those tonal inclusions can add a little bit more complexity to, to an essay that's at a B standard, I think. 
Yeah, that's great advice, uh, Jim. And, and and I agree with all the feedback that's been given there, that that's really good advice. I might stick with you, Jim Lord, if I could. For the next question, and uh, we've been asked, how should we organize our timing in terms of writing and to be able to finish on time? How much do you recommend on each part? I assume they mean each sort of paragraph um, in their exam. What are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, so um, obviously... We get, we get questions all the time in regards to how many paragraphs should I write? Um, you know, when should I have a page break? Things like that. So to answer that question definitively, obviously depends on how many paragraphs you're going to include. Um, and, and that can vary between sort of four to five body paragraphs at times, obviously depending on the length and, and what are of the argue, articles and what arguments you find within them. Um, I know someone's going to speak later about you have to hit every argument and things like that. So um, it is really worthwhile listening to that in regards to this question also. Generally, though, um, I think it's it's really, really important um, that you try to make sure that you uh, have annotated your articles um, really in no more than 10 minutes. Um, I think that's a really, really good target. Um, I think introductions um, which is something that you can practice and you can really get uh, used to it doesn't matter that you're going to get a random article you've never seen before it's that formula of IDAC fast it's really really important and when you when you've done it a few times you can you can absolutely achieve that in a couple of minutes um, you're really trying to get as many um, as many elements within those one or two sentences in your intro as possible. Obviously, fluency and expression are key, but making sure that you include those. So with those two things combined, you're looking, before you start writing, you're looking at, at, at somewhere around that 12-minute mark um, that you've already used up, which obviously then leaves you about 48 minutes to write. Um, I, I really think that's, that's, that's an excellent target. Um, if you find yourself annotating for longer than that, I strongly suggest that you just get going, that you just start getting your, your pen pen to paper. Um, if you can pump out those couple of first arguments well and you are struggling for time, um, you, you can then revisit that second article quickly. Um, but, but I would be making sure that, as we always advise in that 10-minute reading time, that you are absolutely immersed in that article as much as possible. You need to, you need to come out of that 10-minute reading time knowing not only your issue, your contention, your tone, all those sort of things. But you, you need to have a really good understanding about where your arguments are so that your annotation is specific and direct. Um, little techniques like um, remembering which paragraphs your arguments might exist in so that you will just say that number to yourself over and over again. So it might be paragraph one, four, six, seven, ten, one, four, six, seven, ten, one, four. You just keep saying it, just making sure that you can quickly get yourself to that annotation. Um, and, and I think that coupled with your 10 minutes of actual annotating time uh, should, should provide an opportunity to, to leave yourself with 45 to 48 minutes of writing time. Uh, that's, that's the kind of guidance I give, give um, my class and I'm hoping I'm not too dissimilar to, to the advice that's been flying around in other classes. Um, but, but I think in regards to how long Per paragraph, I guess you, you can do the mass there on depending on how many paragraphs you've got with that 48, 48, 45 minutes left. Yeah, that's correct. And again, it's interesting that it does 
the article itself or the articles itself will make a really big difference in terms of how you break up that timing. And this is why practicing is, is really important for this particular um, unit of work because you do want to be able to cut down your writing time as much as possible um, and not get to the end and realize that you've missed out on mentioning certain parts of the text. It actually leads us in nicely to the next question, and I'll go to Assessor X on this one. And this is predominantly for the exam where you've got 15 minutes of reading time, and most of that will be taken up on Section C, on the Analyzing Arguments section. So Assessor X, if we could ask you what the best form of using your reading time would be. Oh, right. I was thinking about the sack, um, so we'll come back to that. But yeah, for the exam, um, I definitely suggest you spend a couple of minutes just looking at your Section A topics. You should obviously know before you go in whether you want to do Rear Window or the Golden Age. Most people do a rear window. Occasionally, people like to do the golden edge. Um, have a look, have a read, choose which one you'd like to do. Already, there'll be part of your mind starting to plan that. Just push that to the back. Head to section C, sorry, section B, same thing. Which comparative topic do you like the look of? Again, set part of your mind off, having a little think about that. And you definitely want to spend the bulk of your time on section C. Um, and this is where there's a bit of crossover now with what you can do with the 10 minutes reading time for the sack. You first read through, don't try and think about picking it apart or the different elements of the text. Read the whole thing, consider it as a whole text. Really try and get your head around what the contention is, because if you get that wrong or you're not quite right or you don't think about it in enough detail, you will lose marks. So it is worth just considering that and also consider the tone as well while we're doing that. Um, once you've had that read through and, and have a think about is a whole text, particularly for the SAC, because you don't know what combination of texts you will get. We will give you two or three. You know, there'll be a visual element, but you don't know exactly what that's going to look like. So have a think. Use your common sense with the structure that we've been teaching. Think about how which version of that, or how you would need to adapt that to make it work. For example, one of the main differences is if the visual text is a separate text or if it's integrated into one of the written ones. Um, once you've got that all kind of worked out in your mind, then definitely and I agree with um, what the last speaker was saying, that you, you want to be coming out of your reading time knowing which sections to focus on because you don't want to waste time annotating sections that you won't write about. Um, what I say to my classes is start with the obvious. You will at least have one visual and you need to link it to some part of the written text, whether it's a separate visual or an integrated visual. So I'd always find that link first. Once you've got an argument to kind of latch it onto, you know then that, that will be included. So that's kind of your, your first part to make sure you annotate. Um, other things, I would do a quick little kind of comparison in your head, save some stuff from whatever the main text is for your comparative paragraph or section. Um, that is only for the SAC, obviously, because we do not compare in the exam. Um, and then when you're faced with your, your main text, which should be obvious, it will be longer. Um, I always like to think of something from the beginning, something from the middle, something from the end. There will always be something good at the start, whether they are outrightly stating their contention, whether they're telling you a nice little story to get you interested or some of the strategy, but there will be something there that you can write about. Um, yeah, and then as soon as you can get your pen, that's it. Highlight away just on those key little sections. 
Beautiful. That's great advice. I might go to um, assess a why now. Just any um, tips or tricks about using your time wisely for analyzing argument? Um, I think just I would agree with everything that's already been said and really make sure that your annotations are useful for you and for you only. There's no point in writing detailed notes as soon as you've got your pen. Um, they just, no one's going to read it ever. So sure that you're getting notes that you can use as you're writing. So whether that's just writing a question mark beside rhetorical questions you want to focus on, or just even circling things on the visual that you yourself will remember what that means. I think that's really useful as opposed to starting to do a thorough annotation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice there. Um, we're going to go back to Jim Lord again, and this question is about comparison. So this is specific to the SAC in itself. And this listener asks us, how do you compare the two texts and when should it be done? Okay. Um, so I, those of people in my class, I guess, that are listening, um, if you if you work out my identity, um, those of you in my class, um, I'm trialing something a little bit different, um, but I might just park that for now because I don't want to I don't want to confuse things. So what I'll do is I'll talk about and and what I'm about to go into is is what we've all done for for many many years and it's it's absolutely a successful way. Uh, I'm just giving another option um, out there as well, which other people might take up as well. Look, um, in regards to comparison, stay with me here, but I use a little bit of a, a strange, uh, you know, analogy or metaphor, if you like. So the way I like to look at it is if you've got the two articles, I like to look at it like a video game. And that's the way that I teach my class. Your main article is level one and your second article is level two. Now you can't go straight to level two because you need to complete level one first. And at the same time, you can't be playing level one and then duck over to level two for a little bit and then come back to level one. Can't do it. You've got to do them in order. So article one or level one, you must play that out first. So level two just doesn't exist. You know it's coming up, but it doesn't exist in your analysis for now. So what I want you to do is I want you to fill, uh, I guess, ring or, or fill, fill through your um, response with as much of that quality analysis from the article one that you can. Get that all the way out. Play it all the way out. When you've done that, you've unlocked level two. And that's when you can begin to access that second level or that second article. Now, you are going to play the game exactly the same way. You are going to take on the challenge of level two or article two in exactly the same fashion. But the thing is that you've learned a few things from playing level one. There's a few things that happened in level one or article one that remind you of how to achieve level two. So when you're in that second article, I want you to do exactly the same thing. Attack it in exactly the same way. You're focusing on your argument, you're looking through the way that the language is delivered, the effect on the audience, exactly the same way. But there's the added element. When you notice something in Article 2 or Level 2 that relates to something that you achieved in Article 1 or Article 2 or something that you analysed, acknowledge it. Make note of it, deliver it, analyse it. And then talk about how that 
is delivered in a different way or a similar way and potentially how that may affect the audience in a different or similar way. Okay, so nothing should change. You're doing the same thing. You've just got that added knowledge now when you're playing level two or you're in article two because you've just, you've just written on something. Now, not everything will connect the same way that when you're playing level two, there are going to be new experiences in that level. There are going to be new things, new challenges that you have to undertake. And some of them may have nothing to do with elements of level one or article one. But if there are, make sure you acknowledge it. All right, now level two is quicker, it's shorter. Article two usually is quicker and shorter. So there won't always be consistent comparison or contrast. But when there is, make sure you acknowledge it talk about the similarities or differences, and then um, by, by extension, the effect on the audience. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great advice. And I think it goes to show as well that, you know, there's, there's no one way to go about this. Um, but the, what, what, what's important is, as, as Jim Lord just mentioned then, is that you are hitting those really important pieces of information and doing it in a clear way an affluent way and that makes complete sense you work through the first text and when you're going through the second text anytime you need to go back that's exactly what you do um our assessors assessors assessor x or assessor y uh, it's a tongue twister any comments from you about the comparative section of this sack not hugely. I think that that uh, Jim Lord really covered that very effectively, and I like the analogy that was happening there. So, just 100%. endorsing that one hundred percent. Thanks, friend. Beautiful. I might say I love the video game thing. It's going into the. Uh, it's going into the uh, into the repertoire. I think sold. <laughs> Once once you get through cups and cubes, then you can, anyway. Once you get through cups, you can do cubes <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so yeah, forth. Yeah, after absolutely. Yeah, yeah, in order, You're correct. Absolutely. Yes, yes. All right, assessor Y. Question directed at you now, uh, and it asks: My teacher asks me to avoid generic analysis. How do I do this, assessor Y? What are your thoughts about generic analysis and how to avoid it? So. To me, generic analysis can, can take two main forms, and one is, is definitional in terms of people getting a bit nervous and falling back to a rhetorical question is a question in which that kind of thing, where they're giving you a definition of a particular technique. The other one is a little bit better than the definitional generic analysis, but it's still quite generic in terms of saying, here's a rhetorical question, and it's making the uh, reader think about this question. So at least in the second example, they're engaging somewhat with the text, but it's still on a very surface level. And I think to become a bit more nuanced is what we're after. So thinking about what exactly is this rhetorical question doing, or exactly is this particular statistic doing? I find this often happens with statistics where people because they're numbers, you can find them generally quite quickly when you're looking and you're stressed, but you need to think about the impact of them. So if we're getting a statistic about how many people have done X, Y, or Z, think about why that might be. So rather than saying 75% of people have been positioned to think this way, think about how does that connect to the central argument how does that connect to the argument that the author is positing at the moment? 
and what might that impact be on the intended audience specifically. So the more precise you can get, particularly with the audience as well. So thinking about, are they an Australian audience? Well, they are going to be in this sack. Are they a Victorian audience? Are they a Queensland audience? Are they from Mulvern or are they from Footscray? It's gonna make a difference. So think about that intended audience and how that particular device in this instance is gonna be positioning them to agree with this particular argument. So really avoid that definitional and avoid the generic. Yeah, for sure. And it leads into the next question um, where they ask, aren't persuasive devices important and why should you not always state what they are? Um, I might take uh, this question. And I think for me, persuasive devices are a good place to start. Um, they do provide you with a bit of guidance in terms of what you should be annotating and what you can look to analyze. Um, but they're not everything. And if we focus simply on the persuasive devices, as SSOI says, we can sort of fall into the trap of analyzing what the persuasive device does rather than what the quotation does. And we really need to be careful about not always labeling, labeling them um, as well, or even overusing phrases. So if, you, if there are statistics, you don't want to continually say that they're statistics, or if they're rhetorical questions, they're not always referring to them as rhetorical questions. It's really important for your expression that you change that up. And whether you use phrases like, you know, this evidence or this plea or this demand or this appeal, whatever it is, um, rather than specifically mentioning the device, you'll find it will allow your expression and vocabulary to be a little bit more complex and a little bit more sophisticated. Um, they're definitely a good place to start, but they should not be the bulk of your analysis. Um, you know, persuasive devices, as I said, are there to sort of guide you um, rather than to, I guess, you know, force you into, into analyzing specific things. Um, Anyone else have a comment on persuasive devices or on generic analysis? Um, I could add something on the devices. I always like to look for just anything to do with language. It is language analysis that they want to see how that supports the argument. So look for other things. Look for stuff like short sentences that stand out. Anything in inverted commas is always worth looking at. Um, Capital letters, just capital letters, definitely capitals, bold, and some of that can cross over with the visuals. There was an exam, I think it was years ago now, where there was a title that was all in the shape of different animals because it was about what the speech was about, some environmental kind of idea. And a lot of people ignored it, which, you know, was silly. Um, so, yeah, bold, capitals, um, just if word choice. You can do lots on vocabulary. So don't forget about language that isn't necessarily a persuasive device. I'm just going to comment on the visual language um, that the other assessor brought up because some people did some really good stuff with the, the 2020 exam. Um, it was a very simple visual, but by digging into it slightly and looking at what one of the people was wearing and therefore thinking they were from the city in a country locale and connecting that to what was going on in the actual text, they, they got some really nuanced and elegant responses out of it. Whereas some people who ignored some of the elements of the visual and just went, ah, it's a photograph. There's a drone and some lady didn't obviously achieve that nuanced uh, investigation. So use some of your media skills that you've picked up in other classes and definitely with Rear Window and you can apply them here as well. 
Um, I was just going to add to the um, persuasive devices or techniques as well. Um, I really strongly agree um, with what um, Jim Session was saying in regards to um, the, I guess, not feeling like there's an essential element that you must always label. Um, obviously, any labeling of any form is going to is going to cost your fluency and your stylistic kind of grade. Um, but there is a way that you can sort of subtly embed those a little bit. So you kind of you you maintain your fluency, but you also you also do get a couple of ticks here or there for that meta language, and that's just making sure. I'm sure there's a there's a a more sort of um, formal um, name for this or a more official name for this, but but I like to call it active verb. So instead of saying something like the author uses rhetorical question to blah 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 Victorian government. You could say something like the author rhetorically questions the Victorian government or the issue from the Victorian government. Um, so in, embedding it in that in that active way, like uh, when you're analysing as if the author's doing it or the writer is doing it, they're in front of you. As opposed to saying they use this, mention them doing it. Instead of the author uses rhetorical question, the author rhetorically questions. So you, you maintain that fluency and you can go off on your argument analysis, um, but, you, but you don't have to pause and label something, if that makes sense. We might have sort of answered this question, but there might be still a little bit more. So Sissa, why? The next question for you. What if we can't label a quotation with a persuasive device? What do we do? You can still address it. And I think we've, we've kind of covered that there. Um, definitely talk about what it's doing, how it's doing it, show us where it's happening, all that good stuff. If you don't have the meta language for a particular device, that's totally fine. We do want to see meta language, obviously, at times throughout your essay to show that you've got command of it. But um, if you're not sure what something is, or if something is many things all at once, and you can't think of all the titles for it, don't worry about it, just get to the actual analysis part. And I think for our students, there's a great activity in that booklet about writing, analyzing arguments, essays, where you've got seven different sentence structures um, to, to work through this. And I really encourage students to do that and look at the different ways you can write about these techniques. Yeah, and if something's quote worthy, it's quote worthy. Like, analyze it. 100%, don't leave it out. And certainly don't ignore an entire argument just because you don't know what techniques are underpinning it. Uh, you can still dig into it and do some really lovely stuff with it. That leads on to the next question. Uh, do I need to mention every argument? Well, <clears throat> given that there is a set amount of time to write this, um, look, there's two angles to take with this. You can either look to maybe combine some arguments together uh, or you can look to really focus uh, what Assessor X says and looking at uh, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And as long as you're mentioning things like tonal shift and audience shift, um, especially when it comes to the arguments, if they begin in a really sympathetic and heartfelt tone and then become more aggressive and more attacking, you want to make sure that you hit that. Like the article, the first article we looked at with the Jabwaran trees, there was that really emotive beginning with the imagery throughout and that was really targeting those pro progressive readers who value things like justice and equality and indigenous rights and then 
In the second part of the text, the focus was on the Victorian government and really attacking their values. And their position has been this really progressive government and not demonstrating those progressive values in this particular issue. And for me, what's really important is those really massive big ticket items, those tonal shifts, um, especially when it comes to the arguments themselves, and then the audience shifts are going to be really, really important. But uh, if you were to go through and annotate an article and take half an hour to annotate it, there is no possible way you could possibly analyze everything you've annotated. So it's really important that you are considered and selective in what you choose to analyze. Does anyone else have something to add to that? Yeah, I can a little bit. Um, I would say if you were to analyze everything in a text, you'd probably end up with a 10 page essay. So you just, you can't do it. Also want to beware of wandering into the realms of summary. It's something that VCAP particularly look out for, even in, and I think Assessor Y will agree with me, with, um, even in essays that are analytical and have some very good passages of analysis, what they look out for and they absolutely hate are topic sentences with words like states, discusses, talks about. It just screams summary to them. So really keep an eye on that. And again, go back to that fabulous writing guide booklet and use the verbs that are in there, um, you know, something like argues or asserts or a synonym of that. Um, it's probably sidestepped the point a little bit, but just thought it was worth mentioning. A hundred percent. And I think uh, in addition to one of the points that um, keeps coming up when assessors are talking is that there's no, you know, correct essay that we're looking for. There's no template that we all sit down and say, well, this is exactly how you divide up the, the text. And if you're not dividing it up this way, then you're wrong. That's not, that's not the case. What we're looking for is your take on it. Now, that's not to say you can run off on, into the woods with it, but that we do understand that there's not a template you're aiming for is the, the key idea there. And that leads us to our last question. And that is, seeing as we don't see the article until the SAC or the exam, what's the best way to study for this? <clears throat> and this is a very good question, one that we get asked a lot. And for me, it's pretty simple. It's You just need to write as much as possible. You need to look at as many different types of texts as well. We knew leading up into the exam last year that they hadn't had a speech in a while. And lo and behold, there was a speech in the actual exam. And sometimes... Uh, we can neglect speeches because we're always looking at articles from newspapers and, and websites and stuff. So making sure you're looking at not just opinion pieces and letters to the editor, but editorials, speeches, even blogs. Um, I'm expecting them one year to, to, to bring a blog in from, from somewhere. And also notice the different audiences too. So we know previously uh, in VCAR exams that sometimes they have been a specific profession, be it biodiversity and scientists sometimes they've been local communities um, and sometimes we even had cafe reviews it could be really anything on the exam so my advice is to search wide and far look at a range of different articles which thankfully we have in our pack that we handed out to you and you'll be able to see there um, and to write as much as possible and your teachers are your number one resource so their feedback really is invaluable 
They're your number one resource. They're your number one supporter as well. They want you to go really, really well. So my advice is, in summary, uh, look at as many different texts as possible, write as much as you can and gain any feedback. I might get some last words from from all of you and I might start with uh, Jim Lord. Any any last words or any um, bits of advice you'd like to, to hand out? Um, yeah, I'll just, just to reiterate all the um, wonderful bits of feedback and, and really to, to endorse and reiterate uh, the comments about leaning on your teacher. Um, we, as teachers, we all try to do make class interesting. We all try to engage you in different ways with different contexts and different entry points into a lesson, into learning. But at the end of the day, this study design is set up to write. If you're not writing, it doesn't matter how amazing you are in discussion. It doesn't matter how many flashcards you can remember. It doesn't matter how well you went in the class debate. Um, if you're not writing, um, you're, you're going to do yourself a disservice. So that would be my last bit of advice. Just please, please, please just draft, draft, draft. It doesn't have to be a full essay. Get a few paragraphs through. Just, just get used to that writing feedback cycle. Thanks. Thanks so much, Jim. Um, Assessor, why? Anything you'd like to add before we depart? Yeah, I, I really like um, Jim Lord's statement there about it being a writing cycle. I think just due to human nature, we often leave all of our writing to the very end of a unit. Um, and, you know, this is, we're near the end of this one, but just as a heads up for our next ones. Um, if you're writing as we go, you're taking on board that feedback, you're improving, you're reflecting, that, that cycle is possible. So definitely ask any questions you've got of your teacher and just keep in mind it is a cycle. So if you haven't really started writing yet, there's still some time, um, but that time is narrowing. <laughs> so get some stuff in so you can get that cycle going. Thank you so much, Assessor Y, and we'll leave with some words of wisdom from Assessor X. Um, so obviously I agree with all of that. Fantastic advice. A um, couple of other things, though. You can also practice the reading time. We talked about that before. Um, you, you can only get quicker if you practice. So practice that. Practice annotations. Um, Practice annotations that work for you. That was mentioned earlier as well. I've got my own little kind of um, shorthand with it, which saves lots of time. So just find whatever works for you. Practice, practice. I like the idea of the targeted practice as well. Think about, particularly as we move into unit four and towards the exams, not as the three different essays, as three kind of distinct separate things. They're not. There's a lot of crossover between a text essay, an analysed argument essay, and a comparative essay. So even go back and look at your re-window feedback. A lot of that will still be applicable. If you need to work on your expression, if you need to work on your quoting conventions, it's still the same for this essay as well. Yeah, I think that's it. But definitely lean on your teachers. Awesome. So to Jim Lord, to Assessor X and to Assessor Y, thank you so much for spending the time and providing us with your exceptional insights. Um, it's there's I've written down about, I think, 25 things um, that I'm going to think about. Um, really, really appreciate it. And uh, best wishes uh, for the rest of the week. <laughs>